0: I'm Bethany Dawson and welcome to My Classic Soul, the podcast dedicated to the best soul and R&B music throughout the decades. In our latest episode, soulmusic.com founder David Nathan and distinguished entertainment journalist Janine Coveney, former R&B music editor at Billboard magazine, discuss Private Line, the 1991 debut solo album by the late Gerald Levert. David and Janine share about Gerald's heritage as the son of Eddie Levert of the OJs how he broke through the stereotypes of blackmail vocalists of the day to achieve consistent success in creating a solid audience for himself. So let's join David and Janine as they share their thoughts about Private Line.
1: Today, Janine, we're going to talk about somebody that we both had the opportunity to meet and yeah. um, really uh, made a, a massive difference um, in the world of soul music and, of course, came from a heritage of, of great soul music singing. And we're referring to the late and much-missed Gerald LeVert.
2: Indeed. And I'm glad to be here to talk with you about him because, you know, he was an important voice. And I think people forget the role that he played in the world of R&B music and entertainment at a time when R&B was kind of changing um, with more hip-hop influences, and um, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But, yeah, we both got to work and meet Gerald, and so we we have a personal view on um, his story, his music, and his work ethic. So I'm excited to talk about him with yeah. you.
1: And, and what we're going to focus on is actually, uh, as we you know focus on his first solo album, um, which uh, was uh, remarkable in as much as it... Uh, Am I correct? I think it, it was a platinum album uh, wow. out the gate, as they say, as they used to say. And um, you know, I just think it's worth uh, you know talking a little bit about the setup prior to that and how um, the public became familiar with Gerald uh, through his work with Levert. I was checking one thing which I actually had forgotten about his duet with Mickey Howard, uh, which was a phenomenal yeah. record. Uh, I think that was one of the first times I became uh, really aware of the power of his soulful voice um, so let, let's let's go back let's talk about La Le group Levert a little bit and then we'll lead up into uh, talking about the the private line album so okay. do you recall your first time hearing the group Lavert um,
2: I don't have a specific uh, moment that I remember but I do recall that it was before I got to billboard magazine and um You know, the song Casanova, which was so catchy and so um, clever and thinking, wow, the O.J.'s have a brand new sound, you know, (laughs) like because of that voice. I just thought it, it was the O.J.'s. So it was really fascinating to me that this was Gerald Levert, the next generation of Levert, and kind of bringing that kind of Philly soul, Ohio soul sound into the new generation, you know, into the hip-hop, New Jack Swing generation. And I thought I thought it was clever, and also because of how they looked. that You know, um, there weren't many plus-size uh, singers, although, you know, we had Luther Vandross, whose size changed from time to time. Well, yeah,
1: so he was plus and then minus, so, yeah, I get it. yeah. yeah.
2: So, um, but I liked it. Casanova was such a clever song because of using that cultural reference of who Casanova was, you know, mm-hmm. a lady killer. So, yeah. um, and he's saying, I'm not that. I'm not that. You can trust me. And I think that's a hallmark of all of his songs that mm. he was the lover. Yeah. He, he, he was a, a sincere lover. You know what I mean? He wasn't yeah. able to fool anybody.
1: Yeah, he wasn't a player. Right. Well. Well. <laughs> well, we may have been a player on <laughs> stage, but that's a different conversation. That's a different story. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I agree to you. You know, this so interesting when we talk about LaVert, uh, the group. Um, well, of course, I do remember Casanova. I think for some reason the song that always comes to mind for me is pop, 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 pop goes my mind. I, I don't know how mind. many how the right number of pops, but anyway... Um, I think what's so so great about because um, uh, and, and, and there was also a family group in as much as you know it was yeah. Gerald, his brother, and um, somebody who was not related, Mark Gordon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, you know, there was a sense of the continuation of a family tradition. And I I was trying to think of other trios of that time period, you know, like late eighties, and I was I couldn't really come up with any. Do you remember yeah. any trios of that time?
2: Um, after seven, was they were they a trio or a quartet? Yeah, they
1: were, I think they were a quartet. More of a quartet, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, but but and then they were a little after Levert, you know. So so Levert a yeah. group comes like in the, the like 80s, in the late eighties. Yeah, 86, 87. Ginny, was it obvious to you that Joe was going to have a solo career? Was that inevitable? Do you think?
2: Um, I, I actually do think so because he was the voice of Levert. you know, he, he was the main, um, sound of it. He was the architect of it. Um, it, it worked as, as a group because, you know, you had a nice stage presentation and you had three guys, but I always felt that he had the star power. He stood out. So it did not surprise me when he went solo at all. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think that um, uh, it's not always the case that someone comes out of a group, no matter how successful, and is able to launch a solo career uh, with a platinum album. That doesn't happen every single time. And uh, one of the things that you and I talked about in, in preparing for this conversation is, and you referenced it already, the fact that uh, Gerald wasn't the um, stereotypical, uh, you know, uh, soul music vocalist in terms of his look. I mean, you know, obviously we can go back uh, to Barry White and we can go back to, well, Luther, I guess, as you said, like plus and then minus Minus. (laughs) look, but uh, you know, I don't think that people bought Luther's records because of how he looked. They bought them because of his sound, obviously. But with Mm -hmm. Barry White, you know, if I go back to Barry White, and I kind of think in some ways that that Gerald was kind of in that lineage of guys who were, you know, know, big guys that didn't seem like the natural kind of sex appeal, matinee idol of, um, you know, uh, of some of his contemporaries even at the time. Um, yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about it because I think that, I think that has a lot to do with the way he was embraced, particularly by uh, African American women, which was, mm-hmm. was a large part of his audience. Uh, so you know, give me your perspective on, on Gerald, you know, and, and, and his image and, and and what do you think it was? I mean, yes, it was his voice and his sound, but you know, I remember he was still, you know, women kind of fell out. In a nice way <laughs> about, Around him yeah. So, so uh, let's hear from you about it Yeah.
2: Well I, I do think That he um, You know he, he was a big guy But he was One of those You know big teddy bear Lovable guys He he was nimble on his feet He could sing He was charming He had a great uh, smile He He um, he charmed people wherever he went and we can attest to that on a personal level. And that's what he did in the, in the business. So um, in terms of being a romantic idol, you know, my mother used to say there's a lid for every pot. And you know, <laughs> and not everybody. You know, some people like a larger guy. Some got like a more muscle guy. Some guys like a tall guy. You know, he, there's someone for everyone. And and Gerald seemed to kind of he he was bigger <laughs> bigger yeah. than his presentation, and and yeah. that was um, attractive. That was attractive about him. He wasn't shy. He wasn't hiding it. Um, You know, we'd already seen Heavy D with his overweight lover in the house kind of uh, vibe, and that worked. And I think to some degree, uh, between those two artists, because as you said, we had artists who were heavy before but these were kind of guys who were contemporary they were young and they were still attracting females and I think the record labels had to wake up to the um, potential you know the potential that someone like Gerald had to build his audience and it was a lot of females but a lot of men too because men saw themselves you know not every guy is a gym rat not every guy you know pushes away the pride chicken
1: Uh, you know gerald represented them too you know so that was part of it yeah sorry i got completely sidetracked with the kentucky fried chicken reference because it actually (laughs) evoke uh another memory related to luther who you know of course was never ashamed to admit that he Loved his Kentucky Fried Chicken. (laughs) But anyway, we digress. I digress. digress. The other thing, too, is uh, I think that what what, um, is really important is that there was how he looked, but it's also how he sounded, and and that he had an authentic, soulful voice. He did. um, That really, you know, because you could just be a big guy and and not sound so great, but he, he really had the, you know that real like tradition of, of you know, Of course, coming from you know being the son of Eddie LeVert. I mean, you know, I guess it wasn't too hard to have heard, you know, the kind of um, uh, impact that 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 Eddie had. And in fact, even if we think about it, you know, Eddie and the OJs. I mean, they also weren't like you know they weren't um, typical they weren't, oh, yeah. I mean, they, they weren't yeah. like a, they weren't you know. Um, I'm trying to think of a contemporary group to the to the OJs. But in terms of their look, I mean, they weren't, you know, they weren't pin-up idols, shall we say? But right. it was their, it was their sound and 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 the soulful sound. And you know, as I was listening to the solo album, you know, which we're going to talk about private more, a private line, you know, I was really struck by um, how uh, m- much Gerald's like soul, that soulful feeling, that intensity came through on some of the tracks. So let, let's launch right into it. So let, let's talk about a uh, title track, Private Line, because you and I did have a little conversation about that prior to uh, the, the podcast. So would you like to share with everyone what you thought Private Line was about?
2: Well, it's funny because it had been many years since I'd, I'd heard it. And so I listened again and um as as you say, he he has that wonderful voice that's the bridge from his father's generation to the the newer generation, but also he his songwriting kind of pins it to the times. Okay, and that happens often because I thought Private Line, as I recalled, it was going to be. A song lyrically that said, girl, you can call me on, your private, on my private line. You can call me anytime. You know, that kind of a thing. I'm available, in other words, for romance. But when I listened to it again, I realized that the lyrics were not saying that. They were saying, you and I are broken up. I don't want to hear from you anymore. Stop calling me. You cannot have my private line. You can call my service. You can call my service as many times as you want. That's what the song says, because I don't want my heart broken anymore. And so I was kind of stunned by that reference, that twist on the idea, because as you mentioned, when we talk, there's so many songs begging a romantic interest. Please call me, please call me. So yeah. what's yeah. your response?
1: Well, uh, let, let's play a l- before we, before we go to my response. Let's uh, have, uh, let's hear some of Private Life. Oh, give for me. Home. I also went back and listened to it, and, and um, the thing that isn't just, he, he does sing, you can call my answering string service anytime. In fact, he does sing that, which is another way of saying you can call. It doesn't mean I'm going to call you back. Right. <laughs> because uh, as you and I were talking about back in the day, uh, before the uh, before cell phones, before mobiles, before uh, even almost before... Um, answering uh, machines. Answering machines. We yeah. did have an answering service. And, you know, I mean, I had one for sure and in the 70s. And blues, blues and all your know, office. But well, it wasn't an office. It was my apartment in New York so of course if I went out there was no machine to, to take a message if I wasn't there and so I had to have an answering service and so that was also a throwback to another era when uh I don't know that everyone had an answering service but I think if you were a business person or you're self-employed you really had to because it was how else does anyone get you get messages so um, I get about the whole thing of the answering service. It is a kind of interesting twist. Yeah, don't call my private line. You can call my answering service. It doesn't mean I'm going to call you back. It's a very right. clever song, yeah. I wonder, is, how um, many other, I wonder how many other people thought he was saying, you can call my private line. <laughs> anyway. Maybe it's
2: just me. But it, it reminded me of the cleverness of his writing, Um style of how he was able to pull real life elements of the moment and incorporate them into music. And that's, you know, that's what makes a hit. That's what the, what people are excited about. Of course, we mm-hmm. love the timeless songs, but the songs that also reflect our current moment, like this moment right now, yeah. are, you know, catch on, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, let's talk about the song in particular that, uh, that I think is interesting. I been listening back to it again. School Me which is definitely not uh, not the same as private life. <laughs> It's kind of, yeah, really interesting. Like, it, it's, it's got a kind of vulnerability about it. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. This is gonna. something I'm going to ask you. You know, um, it's unusual, I think, to hear a male vocalist um, create a song in which he's actually um, uh, asking uh, his female uh, date or his female... Uh, his female heart. friend. Heart. <laughs> yeah, heart. Heart. <laughs> it's interesting. I'm struggling for the right word here. The times have changed since 1991. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, um, His boo, his bae. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, Yeah. I think the lyrics in School Me are really, you know, interesting, you know. He's he basically, um, if I'm construing the lyrics correctly, yeah, you know, and telling, telling, his, telling, his, telling his female... Partner, Bo, whatever, uh, t- to guide him through what she wants him to do.
2: Yeah, tell Not me what to do.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: tell me, tell me what you like, and you know, I'm I'm ready to learn. And um, I do think that that is, you know, a rare quality um, to 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 say that. And a relationship because you know men, a lot of men you know, their ego in real life. they um, you know, they might not ask. They might not, you know, it's Gerald is saying to men, it's okay mm-hmm. to let someone else take charge or let some let a woman tell you what she wants. Don't assume. You know, um, you can be schooled. You can learn a few new things.
0: Yeah. And
2: um, it, it is, it again, appeals to both women and men. You know, I was just going to say that I remember in the 90s, particularly um, in, in dating and listening to my friends, that there, there was, you know, the ongoing war between the sexes uh, where dating was, was difficult and you know a lot of now you have women working as well as men they can both earn so you have this competition in business and in the bedroom and so you we needed these these kinds of romantic songs to show the equality in relationships
1: Mm. well well, let's listen to a little bit of school me
0: there for a quick break then we'll return to david nathan and janine coveney as they continue to talk about gerald Levert and his emergence as a singer and songwriter working with other artists such as barry white and anita baker amongst others check out In the Meantime by renowned trumpeter Willie Bradley featuring Gerald Alston, the lead singer of the legendary group The Manhattans. This jazzy groove with lyrics right on time with what's happening in the world today is on Soul Music Records, available now on all digital platforms.
1: The other thing that you're pointing to, which I think is what singles Gerald out particularly is, and we've referenced this before, about his vulnerability. So, you know, to be able to, um, to, for, for, you know, given the general consensus at the time, you know, the kind of, most of the his contemporaries would not have been saying school me. They would have been saying the opposite. Like, well, I'm trying to think of a, a, a lyrical equivalent that's the opposite. That doesn't make sense, does it? Can you think of anyone of the time period... <laughs> Who was saying something not quite like that? Close the door. <laughs> Turn off the light. I, that, I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay, Jenny yeah.
2: Pendergrass is issuing commands and it's gonna yeah. go down the way he wants it to go down, you know.
1: Well, I think we probably find some other 90s singers who were doing the same thing. Um, um uh, didn't didn't you talk a little bit about whip appeal?
2: we we did and
1: you, um you yeah
2: mhm and um i think that um there there's parallels in terms of the the melody and the beat of the of the songs and so you know you have babyface who's you know he's the tender lover he's babyface nice. he's, he's the romantic Idol, and you know he has a very different kind of approach to R and B, but also a songwriter, and also very attuned to what women want. And so, but Gerald does it in his own his own way.
1: I don't think that probably had a lot to do with his success, because he wasn't. You know, I I think this is an important point because I I think if you look at the tradition of uh, particularly male vocalists in soul music it's definitely not usually the thing for a a man to be saying you know tell me what you want tell me what you want me. I mean you know part of the appeal of of, of Barry White I think was also there was that kind of a little bit of that element in what he did Um, Mm -hmm. I think of all the you know the hardcore R&B soul R&B and soul singers of the 60s and 70s you know like you said Teddy Pendergrass was not Tell me what you want me to do Is I close the door. And what was the other one? There's another <laughs> one. Uh, turn off the lights. <laughs> <laughs> There's there no ambiguity there.
2: I'm going to give you a special treat, whether you then want you it can. or not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, let, let's move on to uh, the third can song. Can I add there. one
2: more thing? Yes, and course,
1: absolutely. Before we move on.
2: 90s. Maybe this is the 90s or the early 2000s. I didn't look it up. But if you recall, there was a singer named Joe. Oh, yeah. And yeah. So he also kind of, you You start to have these uh, balladeers that try to cater, tell me what you want. Um, you know, not to be lewd, but his lyric was, I'll go downtown if you need me to go downtown, which people interpreted um as a particular act. So so you do have st- st- some of that starting to happen. But I think Gerald really um he, he just made it right as rain, natural, you know.
1: Yeah. To, yeah. To be
2: vulnerable, yeah. as you say, vulnerable and romantic.
1: Yes. Which leads perfect segue into to the one of the outstanding tracks on on the album, which is his duet with his dad, uh Baby Hold On to Me. I mean, that is like, for me, that's like quintessential classic soul uh even though it's of course in the 90s but it's really you know it's just so that kind of tradition of the ojs and even other groups of the you know back in that time the harold melvin and the blue notes i mean just that or teddy pentagrass of course you know the, that that yeah. whole um you know real like raw you know passionate uh passionate, delivery. Yeah. yeah and i love that i love the performance. I loved how he and his father just really they just sounded great together. Uh, what, What are your thoughts about the about that song?
2: I really love that song too because it again it's a very romantic song. It has a beautiful melody, beautiful performance. And, you know, being a a writer, I I always listen to lyrics. I I very much get into lyrics and how they relate to the times and what what they're trying to say about relationships. And um, it reminds me that a lot of times, you know, people want what they want and they tend to um, don't appreciate what they have, you Mm -hmm. know. And the song is, is basically saying, you know. I'm it, you know, I, as mm-hmm. a man, I'm it. Don't overlook me. You know, I'm special. You're not going to get someone who loves you. Like I do think again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's um, something that young women and young men tend to forget. You know, they, they want what they want in relationships. And this is slow down. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. I'm being honest with you yes. with this message. And it's very touching. It's very touching
1: yeah. Well, I just checked. Uh, I was just kind of away from the screen for a moment to look at something. And it turned out that that was actually uh, Gerald's um, second biggest pop hit, mm. which is interesting. Uh, it is. I, wonder if that, I wonder if that had a lot to do with the fact that his father was a part of that You know, people had some recognition for Eddie Liver I don't know, I don't know I mean, it just, it's quite amazing to think that that was uh, a crossover hit As we used to say back in the day mm-hmm. uh, So let's hear some of Baby Hold On To Me one of the things that I think that um, was a, a concern for Gerald and, and we both had conversations I think with him later in his career um, is that he, he he did feel some sense of frustration uh, I mean his private line the album platinum uh, Groove On you know, come, comes out in uh, 1994 and it, it's a, a platinum album yeah, again you know which is it's phenomenal to have two in a row like that um, and then you know other albums followed, but they didn't, he never quite, they never quite crossed over, as we said, to to, to a pop mainstream audience. And I know that um, that was one of his frustrations as his career continued, as he really became a part of mainstream uh, soul music and R&B, but he never quite was able to um, capture that, pop audience. Why, why do you think that was?
2: Well, I think the, the same things that made him so popular with the R&B audience were some of the things that maybe didn't translate as well to the pop audience. Um, you know, he, he wasn't a matinee idol. He had that very rough, soulful voice. Um you know, I don't know, maybe because he hadn't toured widely, he didn't do enough, um, you know, a lot of times you have soul artists who will team up with more pop artists and do all, all the duet things that they do. True. And, True. and certainly he deserved to be recognized more because he um, he really did have that work ethic that he inherited. I mean, he was on the road with the OJs as a as a child. He saw the theaters that they played. He saw that his father and his bandmates, you know, you had to sing whether you were sick, whether you, you know, were tired. You know, you you just you had to keep giving, giving, giving. And, you know, he was tireless in that way in in Mm -hmm. performing, but maybe where he performed and some of the strategic um, moves that he made didn't move him closer to the pop audience. And I think that's that's a shame, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Do you have it, thoughts about yeah. it? Yeah. Well, that was something that we, we referenced Luther a few times, and I think one of Luther's biggest frustrations in his career, while he, you know, consistently sold out um, in, in, in shows, you know, live audiences, I mean, just packed all the time, um, and records consistently sold really well, uh, platinum, platinum, platinum albums. Uh, But he never, other than here and now, uh, he never really quite crossed over, and it was one of his frustrations. And I wonder if it really does have something to do with image, because there were other, uh, you know, black male vocalists who did, so it wasn't like nobody ever did. Um, right. And I, I wonder if it really did have to do with image. You know, the fact that they weren't, well, we mentioned Babyface.
2: Yeah. But
1: they weren't, uh, oh, Usher. Well, it's probably a bad Usher. Job. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Like Gerald could dance, but he, you know, and I've seen shows where he, he did choreography, but, you know, he wasn't going <laughs> to give uh, Usher a run for his money, you know? <laughs> so, um,
1: that's true. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I, I think in, in, in winding down, I think one of the things that we, we, I think we both want to uh, address is the fact that, um, you know, Gerald died in his 40s, which is really tragic. And, um, you know, I wonder what the future would have held if he had continued recording. Um, I know that the last conversation I had with him, which, as I, as I recall, was a few years before his um, untimely passing, uh, was about the, the project he was working on, which eventually came out, and I believe was called "In My Songs." He had purposely uh, begun recording songs that he felt would have that kind of pop appeal, and I understand the thinking behind it because you know you can keep playing the same audiences over and over again, but you know any any artist will want to expand their base, whether it's internationally or domestically. You want to keep growing. Uh, and, and, and having a larger audience for many different reasons. So I know that was one of the things that he was aiming for. Um, so, so what are your final thoughts about about Gerald? And do you remember the last time you had a conversation with him?
2: Um, I I don't know, but I do I do remember my first year in Los Angeles. Um, I, I happened to work for Perspective Records, which was Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis's label, and our uh, promotion team promoted A&M Records uh, projects, R&B projects, and one of the projects that we handled was the Barry White uh, album that had Practice What You Preach on it, which was a song that Gerald co-wrote. Yeah. And so, so Gerald would come to the prospective office and have meetings with us, and you know we got to spend time together, and so what impressed me about him in general was, you know, he was bred in music. I don't know what else he would have done if he didn't have music. That's what he knew. Music, writing, performing, and and sharing his gifts with others, sharing songs. He wrote a lot of songs for other people, um, which I don't know is, is well known. But he also was active in um, trying to launch other talents. So I remember he had a girl group that was signed to Perspective, and that was another reason why we wow. spent a lot of time with really? him. And unfortunately, the, the group, I, I believe it was three girls, mm-hmm. they were called Drama, just D-R-A-M-A, I Drama.
1: Actually, I remember- you know what? I actually kind of have a vague memory of that. Yeah. Oh, wrong memory of it, but yeah, yeah, Okay. Yeah. So Did they live up to um, their name. I'm sorry. Did they live up to their name.
2: Well, they were very nice girls. <laughs> I don't remember what happened that prevented them from launching. It's interesting because I, I recently watched your uh podcast on girl groups, and it made yeah. me think of drama and the drama of of producing and, and promoting a girl group, but I digress. We're talking about Gerald. We, I think that we really lost someone who was a music man at heart. And if he didn't continue making music as a as an artist, he would have continued writing songs. He would have continued discovering, promoting, and developing talent. He was generous that way and totally committed to music. And I think in that way, it, it was a loss. And, and one final thing about him is that the untimely way that he died, um, which for people who, who may not remember, he it was a combination of over-the-counter and prescription drugs that he yeah. was taking, um, that took his life. But to me, it was, I have to keep going. This is what he's saying to himself. I might be in pain, I might be sick, I but I have to keep going. I have to pop these pills And keep moving because people are counting on me Hmm. and and I can't be down for any amount of time. And and that dedication is is what I see as the cause, part of the cause of of why he's no longer with us.
1: Wow. Well, one more thing I just wanted to riff off of one thing you said to complete our conversation. You mentioned about his generosity in, in, in contributing to other people's uh, uh, music and, and writing songs, for others. so one song that that uh, that I uh, I often uh, listen to because I like it so much is a song he wrote with Anita Baker called "Whatever It Takes," which is yeah. on her album for Compositions. And I mean that just example of, of of the diversity of his talent that he could he. And I agree with you. I think that if at some point he had decided, well, I don't want to keep making albums myself. Um, I want to just develop myself more as a producer and a songwriter of course, we didn't, that would have been a, a, a great fulfillment for him. I think one thing we forgot to mention, so we might as well address it in our final moments is uh, when he teamed up with uh, Keith Sweat and Johnny Gill for the LSG uh, albums, two albums and tours, mm-hmm. which I think was a very smart move. And did expand his audience to uh, include the audiences of people like Johnny and and Keith, which were a little different. They weren't exactly all the same audience. So yeah, is there anything you wanna say in passing complete our our Gerald LeVert conversation about LSG?
2: Honestly, I was surprised to see these three artists get together. I think um, Keith was enormously successful at that time on his own. Um, He had sold some platinum albums. Gerald, of course, had his career. And I think at this point Johnny was kind of in the middle of the new edition you know he'd had solo al- albums obviously that had done well for him he had the my 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 thing but um you know to get together to to join forces that way w- was unusual and fun for the for the audience and you know they had a huge hit um with their first single i think it was called my body that's right yeah yeah yeah,
1: wow. yeah.
2: so well. they were
1: well, we just want to tr- pay tribute to a great, a great young uh, singer, songwriter, producer uh, who has left us a, a really good legacy of music. And uh, so, for all of the all of y'all who might be part of a generation that didn't actually catch Gerald Levert, go back and listen to Private Live and you will get schooled in. There you go. Schooled in classic soul of the 90s. How That's is that? Right.
2: <laughs>
1: and we miss him
2: very much. We do.
0: Thanks, David and Janine. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform and visit us for breaking news and daily updates about your favorite soul and R&B artists over at soulmusic.com. For now, I'm Bethany Dawson. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on My Classic Soul.